Hey folks, welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare Oddcast, presented by Denver Horror Collective. I'm your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we're getting a taste of Molly Adams. Well, that's a weird way to introduce it, Josh. Well, you'll see why. Molly Adams is a writer and film critic from the UK whose work has appeared at In Review Online, Filmotomy, and Jew Think. She specializes in Jewish horror across film, theater, and literature, which she explores in depth at her own website, jewishhorrorreview.com. And her most recent writing on the subject can be found in the introduction to Denver Horror Collective's anthology, The Jewish Book of Horror. Welcome to my nightmare, Molly. Hi, happy to be here. Well, this is going to be a fun episode, and I'm glad you're here for it, because on Josh's Worst Nightmare, I invite on horror writers to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which is living creatures, vital processes relevant to their writing and their interests. This episode, we are talking about cannibalism. So maybe to clear the air, Molly, are you pro or con for cannibalism? Oh, entirely neutral. Uh, pretty anti. But, um, you know, horror does sometimes make a decent case for it, especially as a way of rejuvenating life and a way of getting into contact with your own humanity or lack of it. Uh, so, yeah, neutral. Yeah, that's a good point. Definitely a good way to remind yourself you're human is to put other human flesh in your mouth. <laughs> but yeah, there's the literal and then there's the figurative, of course, which we often see in literature. But in terms of just the physical world, I think the reality is that most creatures, most animals, insects across the board, they're cannibals sometimes. So it's not like some thing that is, frankly, unnatural, right? Oh, definitely. Um, you can definitely find so many examples of cannibalism in the, in the animal kingdom. But also in humanity across history, we haven't exactly shied away from it. And it really doesn't take much to get us eating our neighbors, you know? Um, even as recently as sort of the early 2000s, we've found it in, you know, obviously not exactly normal circumstances. It's often as a result of drug use or of famine. But across history, you can really find so much um, examples one of my favorites is um, during one of the Russian famines, there were reports of families having to tie their children to separate corners of the room so that they didn't eat each other. It's, it's not something that is as uncommon as people seem to think. Yeah, that's, that's pretty rough stuff. In my mind, the ones that come up as the most popular would be Donner Pass in California yes. when folks were trying to get over that snowy area and the train takes you right past there and they always point it out and Alfred Packer there was a yes. party, party here in Colorado a very similar situation a tough winter they underestimated underestimated it they ended up eating each other and then there's the film from I think it was the 90s alive from the plane crash of some maybe it's a south american soccer team or something like that yeah or in the andes yes so those are some pretty big deal instances that live very much in our imagination even still today i mean they're historical record actually every single one of those so those aren't even necessarily mm -hmm. fictional 
but yeah so why why the uh why the oppressive taboo on eating other humans i mean but what is that what does it bring up the idea of eating human flesh in your mind and why is it so probably rightfully abhorrent for human beings well i think if you wanted to take a purely scientific approach to it and just go for the literal it would be the fact that you can get diseases and certain things that are transmitted more easily but if we're thinking more about the human psyche I think the horror of cannibalism and the reason why it's so taboo is because there's two different ways you can approach it. The way that I call the vegetarian approach, which is we don't like to think of ourselves as meat. We don't like to think of ourselves being able to be demeaned and dehumanized in that way that another being could eat us, could see us as cattle. And then the carnivores approach, which is that we're terrified that we could do that to somebody else the thought that we could lose touch with our own humanity enough to do that and even potentially to enjoy it. Uh, I think Julia Kristeva sums it up as, is it the fear of being bitten or is it the fear of biting? You know, hmm, That's a great point. And I think that comes up a bit in The Walking Dead, for instance, so the zombie series. And the thing that separates certain groups from others is we don't descend into cannibalism. We stay at this level of humanity and we won't go down to that. And that's a really defining, a uh, defining feature. And, you know, whether it's fair to automatically judge people who eat other humans, I mean, it's certainly not socially acceptable for good reason, but in tight circumstances like a zombie apocalypse, but that morality play definitely comes up a lot, at least in the, the zombie world. Definitely. And I think with zombies, there is the question of, are they cannibals or are we able to see them as animals who are just attacking? Because if we see them as cannibals, that makes it a lot harder to approve of, you know, the big action blockbusters where people just mow down zombies left and right, you know? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good point. And you do make some good points about just the biological aspects of eating other human beings, it is known to spread, basically it's called the, the human mad cow disease, Jakob Kurzfeld. Yes. So the prions, which are these mm -hmm. basically non-living particles that are somehow act like they're alive. We don't even know what the hell they are. And that's the stuff that's, it, it can be transmissible in that way. And so people have literally gone insane in certain cultures by engaging in that, sometimes even for ritualistic purposes. Oh, yeah. And I, I think with prions, it's specifically the brains, right? Where mm -hmm. if you decide to go full zombie, then you might turn into a zombie yourself. Right. So if you're going to eat a human, just don't eat the brain and you'll be fine. Oh, yeah. St stick to the red meat. <laughs> you'll be fine. But that is a distinction in terms of out of necessity and then out of a ritual. And it seems as if a lot of the ritual is I'm going to be imbibing what is in this person's brain by eating the brain. Definitely. And that was a big element in sort of early human history was martial cannibalism and having, um, sorry, and um, basically imbibing the strengths of the strongest warriors of among your enemies. A lot of the time women and children weren't so much eaten at the big feasts or anything like that. It was always the strong warriors that you wanted to, take their martial prowess and that ties a lot into folk horror almost where there's the sacrificial element so you sacrifice them often to the land 
but there's probably a lot of overlap in even British culture, maybe some of the old time stuff where the human sacrifice that was made of maybe the king of the year right, that they then sacrificed back to the land. I don't believe there was eating of them, but do you know if there was? Um, with England, it goes sort of way back to the Druids and the Celts, um, back when the Druids priests and priestesses would eat the brains uh, of, I think it was rival warriors, to see the future. Hmm. Uh, but we do have some examples in Scotland um, up north with the tale of Sawney Bean, which is one of the most famous cannibal stories of all time, of a whole incestuous family tribe that lived off the coast of Galloway and would just eat hundreds and hundreds a year of people who just were traveling by, you know? Wow. That's pretty fascinating. Yeah. There's, there's cannibal history all over the world and in a lot of places and a lot of travelers logs of their experiences, it was used to be pretty racist, but there is cannibalism absolutely everywhere in the world. Sure. For sure. I do think the idea of humans thinking ourselves not as food, we're not prey, we're predators, and we often are predators, but tell that to a tiger, tell that to a crocodile in the right circumstance. So we are still prey and that reminder that we can eat one another. I mean, humans are killing each other a lot, but somehow the eating Jeffrey oh, Dahmer, right? That sorry, takes I've it. just lost you there, Ram. Could you repeat what you said? Yeah. So just the idea of killing each other is a obviously taboo, but somehow when it goes to eating the flesh, so we have these serial killers, like Jeffrey Dahmer here in the States, he is beyond the pale, right? It's like, oh, the other guy, he just killed a bunch of people. He killed them and ate them. That's all of a sudden yeah. real bad. I think with the um, history of serial killers in the States, uh, less so over here, we didn't have as much of that, but you guys have Jeffrey Dahmer, you have Ed Gain, Gein, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. And that's really influenced a lot of horror films that have come forward since those um, killers have actually been around. Ed Gain influenced things like Psycho, Buffalo Bill, and Silence of the Lambs, everything. Yeah. And when I think about fiction too, in terms of cannibalism, even though it's sort of accidental cannibalism for many people, the film Soylent Green from, I don't know if it was the 50s or 60s, which was about creating a different food source. And then the whole line, spoiler alert, but if you don't know this at this point, sorry. Um, <laughs> Soylent Green is people, right? So basically the whole time they've been eating people, recycling human beings. And yeah, that's a big ending that people still know about because that's such a horrible reveal. Yeah, they do a similar ending in Cloud Atlas um, where it is the most terrifying thing, but ultimately it is a convincing end point of capitalism of being able to deem some humans as not worthy of being anything more than food stuff yep and some other areas that cannibalism in a sense ties into horror fiction of course there's vampires they're sucking blood that's pretty close and then there's the wendigo and so denver horror collective put out a before jewish book of horror something called consumed tales inspired by the wendigo and that has stories about aspects of the Wendigo, kind of retellings of them. But from First Nations, Native American oral tradition, the Wendigo creature stalking the forest, it looked very emaciated. A lot of that is thought to Native American culture tie into cannibalism and the shame of cannibalism. 
I think with um, Native American sort of mythos as well, there's the element with um, spirit walkers. And I can't remember where exactly I read about it, but that being a way of rationalizing cannibalism. Mm, yeah, that's fascinating. And then taking it into more of the modern world, no offense to Christianity, any Christians listen, but the <laughs> body and blood of Christ, right? That's a replication of a kind of cannibalism. Of course, Jesus is a spiritual figure, so it's it's symbolic, clearly. But talking <laughs> about religion, so Jewish Book of Horror, I edited that. You had your excellent introduction, and, and you are well-versed in this world. So how, in what ways might cannibalism tie into the Jewish world? Um, first of all, I absolutely love reading uh, the Christian Eucharist as an act of cannibalism. <laughs> um, second of all, yeah, with um, Jewish history, as I was saying earlier, cannibalism was often flung around as a racist or xenophobic accusation against any group that you wanted to portray as barbaric. So it was thrown around a lot in relation to um, African tribes and things like that, in relation to Native Americans as well. Um, it was also flung at the Jews. Um, there were a couple of accounts that, that might have actually been accurate. Um, in the Bible, there's the famine in Samaria that is talked about. There's an act of maternal cannibalism of a woman eating her own baby. But those sorts of accounts then ended up getting recycled and turned into openly anti-Semitic accounts. Um, there was things like a epic poem called the destruction of jerusalem where it's you know it is largely just anti-semitic bile it's enjoying flinging violence at the jews as a monolith um but then yeah all of these accounts got recycled and recycled over the years and then eventually and i think the 1300s we see the first appearance of blood libel the accusation against jews that they were using the blood of christian and gentile children in baking, I think it's a matzah for Passover. Mm. And, you know, obviously anybody with half a brain knows that that is entirely inane. It's obviously horseshit, but it's a myth that really held its own and it actually stood up until as recently as, you know, now with all of the QAnon, hmm. again, horseshite <laughs> that gets flung often at Jewish people at, quote unquote globalists and right, this idea right. that there are things to be gained for jewish people by drinking the blood or consuming christian flesh and mm. yeah it's absolutely mind-boggling to think about the implications of blood libel and cannibalism for jews over the years yeah and so the idea that that's just a jewish thing is is a of course it's been you know people would say uh certain African tribes. Oh, they're all cannibals, things like that. So it's definitely has a racist history and yeah, the accusations, definitely. you know, and then the idea that just Jewish are like, so personally, I, myself, I do use baby blood in my baking, but that doesn't mean that and that Jews, is your choice. That's religious freedom. It is. And I don't feel like it's fair to say that all Jews do that just because I do that. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm Jewish. That's just, I just like how it tastes. So <laughs> So yeah, to make that clear, just me, not not all of my people. But yeah, and second of all, matzah. If anyone's ever tasted matzah, 
clearly there's no, I mean, there's like no salt in that at all. So there's clearly say, it's pretty plain, right? Yeah. It would taste a lot better if there were baby blood. Let's just put it that way. So, <laughs> so obviously not, but that is, that is really fascinating. I didn't really actually make that connection so much between the, the cannibalism and the Jewish blood libel. And then of course, into modern day, the more, let's just say underground, uh, not as quite on the nose, but still aspects of it. So that's that's really fascinating to me. Yeah, it's rarely ever called cannibalism, but when you look at it, that is what it is. That's what the accusation is. We really haven't developed much in the ways that anti-Semitism's flung around. We're still using the same old rhetoric. Yeah, and so I mean, what better way to dehumanize people than to say, "Oh, look, they're doing the." the least human thing, right? They're eating other humans. So they're clearly not one of us They're That's a great way to make people the other. Yeah. And there's, there's something preemptive about it as well. That gets people on their defenses of if they're already doing this, they might do it to you. They might turn you into meat. Yes. And it can also have lots of symbolism. You can tie it into the whole, whatever Jewish banker conspiracy. Oh, they're just using you as pray so they can make more money to control the world right that's more of a it's getting out of the literal cannibalism more of a finance financial economic cannibalism in a sense that's one of the things that i really enjoy about cannibalism as a metaphor though is that it does lend itself so well to symbolism and to the idea of consumption and you're you're absolutely right it is this idea like jewish people will consume you yeah, that's that's the unfortunate myth and anti-Semitism is going on to this literal day, as we've seen in the news. And whenever you're listening to this, just, just check the news. You'll even if it's yeah. not this instance, you'll find something else out there. But and we can come back to the this aspect in a second. But I did want to talk a little bit about kind of gross stuff. So I have heard that when you eat a human being, that a human being, it's were the closest to pork. And that actually stays in the Jewish realm there a little bit, right? Because humans aren't, yeah. supposed to, Jews aren't supposed to, Jews and Muslims aren't supposed to eat pork. Uh, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think about that? Um, Just while we're on the topic, though, I was actually looking up before this meeting and um, whether cannibalism was considered kosher and under certain circumstances, it actually is. Interesting. But um, yeah, if you're in a situation where it's your own life in danger and where you haven't murdered the person that you're eating, it's okay. But yeah, no, I think the fact that we taste like, like pork, um, I think in the Pacific Islands, human meat was referred to as long pig. Right. That's a good uh, point. Yeah, it is interesting that that's become a taboo across a couple of different religions, though, definitely. Yeah, the idea behind the pork taboo as i understand it biologically so there's spiritual reasons religious reasons uh other customs but basically trichinosis so the the mm. worms that hatch in pork is uh something to avoid in walking across the desert in those regions whether you're a jew whether you were an arab whatever you probably wanted to avoid that mm, absolutely but they do say that also the smell, and this is probably a little too much, but for any of my listeners, I mean, we have, we've had whole episodes that are far grosser than this. So 
that similarity and you look at the pigs stretched out, there is a weird, it, it's almost like the closest thing to humans and pigs are intelligent. They're one of the mm. more intelligent animals that we eat. And yeah. Absolutely. So um, I think that's actually brought up in the horror movie Raw by um, Julia DeCorno that we are effectively pigs. Like that is the animal that we are most close to, to a lot of scientists. Sure. And then also getting into, I'm a careful eater and I think that humans, so the best food to eat is not really carnivores. You know, we're basically omnivores. So we eat meat and we eat vegetables and stuff like that. But if you think of the best meat out there, deer, things like that, cattle, those are almost entirely herbivorous. So we humans are not like, that's why we don't eat owls. That's why we're not eating dogs for the most part. Things that are, they're, they're gross. Like those, that doesn't make good eating. So for people who are on the fence, you know, <laughs> rethink it. I love the idea that there are some people listening to this who are on the fence about cannibalism. And we, and we might have some vegetarians and vegans. So I was actually vegetarian for 20 years. Uh, I was vegan for two. Uh, these days I eat fish and I eat poultry, but that's it. Uh, but so even just in our, in our daily life, of course, we, we do eat animals that are killed, but there is a distinction and I'm an environmentalist here, but there, there clearly is a distinction when you start eating your own species. And even just in terms of practicality, there's, there's just laws involved. So, <laughs> so I do want to say, you know, Josh's worst nightmare does take the official position that uh, cannibalism should be avoided whenever possible. So that's, I will put that out there. And um, just, pertains to what you're saying about there are laws about that there is a really interesting strain of cannibal horror that um mm. you can sort of go two ways with you can either go to people who live outside the law so there's sort of redneck uh, quote-unquote redneck horror mm -hmm. that has things like the texas chainsaw massacre and the hills have eyes where it's people who don't abide by those laws purely because they live in the back end of nowhere and it doesn't justice doesn't apply to them and then you also have people who aren't outside the law, but who are above it. You know, you get your Hannibal Lecters and there's a brilliant book called A Certain Hunger by Chelsea G. Summers. And both have this class element to them where it's people who genuinely don't see themselves as bound by human laws. Uh, cannibalism, I think one of the uh, many recent true crime cases, I think it was Armin Mayways who said that cannibalism is the closest that humans can get to transcending the human race and to touching the face of God, which is a whole way of looking at it, hmm. but it is a way of transcending law almost to have these high society cannibals. Yeah. That's a fascinating concept as well. Then there is a much lowlier concept. So the film cannibal Holocaust, have you seen that? I have, unfortunately, <laughs> I almost did. And then I was like, you know, I have enough, images in my brain I, i'm gonna avoid it and of course that's not a fun watch <laughs> well so yeah you can you if you maybe speak on that for a bit but just to preface it so that it takes place in uh where does it take place exactly oh god um it takes place in south america but i can't remember which country specifically but the story is of 
this film crew who go over and it's shot sort of like a documentary. And at first you think that the tribe themselves are cannibals and there's different cuts of it where you can see the camera crew inflicting various cruelties onto the tribe. It's not something that I've watched in years um, and it's not something I would recommend to anybody. Um, if you want a sort of updated version that riffs on the same ideas, I would recommend the book Tribesmen by Adam Cesare. And that's a really interesting novelistic take. But yeah, there was this whole genre of mostly Italian uh, cannibal films that mm. echoed cannibal holocaust. And yeah, it's just not fun. Again, it's that racism that gets thrown around with cannibalism, where if you want to mark somebody as barbaric, you can hurl that at them. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know all that much about cannibal holocaust, but it's not a fun one. Right. Well, that's interesting, though, that it may end up being in the ending there that it's actually not the tribes that are the real monsters. So that might redeem some of those elements of the racism, yeah. which seem a bit uncomfortable for sure to do. Oh, well, there are tribes, so they must be eating each other. Like, well, maybe it's the um, sadistic Italian filmmakers. Well, what's funny about that film is that the director, I believe, was brought up on charges of murder for a little while. Yes. He had to prove that his cast members were still alive. So people thought that he actually, which is, I mean, that's just a stupid justice system that doesn't know what a movie is. But I think there's actually a similar remake called Green Fire by the director of Hostel. I didn't see Hostel. That's, that's not my cup of tea per se, but it's sort of in that realm and it's probably a little more socially acceptable. <laughs> um, yeah, with the Green Inferno, it's, um, I don't Green know Inferno. if Eli Roth is ever going to be socially acceptable, bless him. Fair enough. It, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. No, I haven't seen it. It's more one that I've come across when I've been looking into Jewish horror. If you want Eli Roth specifically going for Jewish horror, you probably want to look at Hostel. Um, but yeah, the Green Inferno, I haven't watched, but it sounds, it sounds like a trip. So, oh, right, because Eli Roth is Jewish. Yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen Hostel. So you're saying Hostel has, which is the classic, what they call torture porn, apparently, um, that does have Jewish elements? Um, it definitely takes a lot of reading between the lines, but there is a really interesting um, chapter that I cannot remember who it's by or what book it's in, uh, talking about the concentration camp imagery in Hostel and the idea of um, torture almost being gotten down to something scientific and yep. mostly being for the benefit of a ruling class. It, it is a really interesting film, Hostel, and I do, I do think it deserves a place in the canon of Jewish horror, but it's definitely not for everyone. Yeah, and that brings up another difficult topic. So the Holocaust, and I don't know if there is any cannibalism going on in that world. Do you have any idea? There was a, um, a five-volume response to the Holocaust written by a rabbi who, again, I can't remember the name of, where they assume that there was no cannibalism in the Holocaust. There wasn't much evidence of it, yeah. but there was, it was almost written with some pride that the Jews did not descend to cannibalism, even in that horrible situation where a lot of them were being starved. Yes. Yes. Well, that does seem to be again, that line where we're going to go this far and no further. And then it's that line of, 
what one would call maybe depravity. But of course, if you're in certain circumstances and here is somebody, they're already dead. And probably if you don't know them, right? I think eating mm. somebody you know or a family member, there's just that's way, way worse. But you're just eating some flesh. It's already there. You'd be wasting it. It's really yeah. in many ways not that different than you catch a deer, right? Because at that point, whatever you believe with souls or whatever, it's either was nothing, it was always an animal and it doesn't matter, or the soul and spirit is gone from it. So why wouldn't you eat the shell? Definitely. And I think it, um, part of it does also go back to that case study we talked about earlier of the, I think it was a rugby team who went down in the Andes, their plane crashed. And one of the students among them was a medical student who very early on, when it became clear that there wasn't help coming, he advocated for eating the corpses that were among them. And he ultimately won over the other people in his group by arguing it from a religious standpoint, by saying, God would want us to do this because otherwise it is wasting the bodies. It's wasting their deaths if we don't survive this. Yeah. And apparently the butt is the best place, right? You, you eat the butt um, first. I, I, I have heard that, yeah. Just in case. Rump steak. Rump steak. I mean, yeah, well, we have all the names for the different animal parts, but we don't apply it to humans. But yeah, I mean, this is super macabre. And obviously, I mean, am I making light of it? Yes, I make light of all oh, absolutely. dark uh, things. But, you know, if I were in a circumstance where this happened, I know it would be a big deal. And if I knew somebody who had to eat a human, I wouldn't be joking in their face, obviously. Uh, yeah. But so let's OK, so picture this. So snowstorm in the the Rocky Mountains, you're visiting the States, been out there for a week and a half. And, uh, you know, you're about like 30 miles from civilization and your feet are broken. So you're not walking out, but there's a nice <laughs> fresh corpse of somebody who let's just say you didn't like them very much. Right. <laughs> um, it was, it was this hiking, hiking partner, the other people left that, that you liked. And it's just you and this person, you don't like, you didn't kill them. They died. So we're not talking about, is it ethical to kill somebody to eat them? I think that's usually no. So how many days would you wait? God, I, I like to think I'd last a, a good couple of days, maybe a week. <laughs> but at that point, you know, the meat's putrefying. you got to do something. Well, it's frozen. Uh, it's frozen out there. Oh, it's so frozen. Oh, you have of lots of time. <laughs> two you'd wait two days. You're like, oh, I'm a little peckish. Two days, this is enough. I, I can't wait. I'm tired of this trail mix. <laughs> It depends how long it takes me to, you know, gather condiments. I I think I think the reality is we would all do it. And at a certain point, we'd be fine with it. And ultimately, yes, it would probably be a bit traumatic. But if you put it in the right perspective in those circumstances, it's probably the right thing to do. Absolutely. So, I, I do agree. I condone cannibalism in certain situations. Just make sure... No, yeah. I do think we would all do it eventually. Right. Just make sure like, oh, I've been at, you know, oh, that's a that three mile hike. I'm not getting, it's like, no. In, in that case, <laughs> you know, and if the person's not even, well, then there's to end this on an even more grisly note, the idea of eating off people who are still alive. The, so is that's that, where I think the most disturbing element comes in. Would you kill 
to eat rather than just would you eat something that has been killed? Right. Would you kill to eat? But even would you keep somebody alive while harvesting the meat or the blood from them as they still live? There was a specific historical case study of a man who escaped from prison and ate the people that he escaped with got captured and then on his second escape actually brought some another prisoner specifically with him to as supplies as rations yeah that's uh some pretty dark stuff but hey that's what horror fiction this world of horror is about we're about investigating the shadow making sense of it it doesn't mean wallowing in it in it but i think if you're going around life saying cannibalism doesn't exist, well, sorry, you're wrong. It does. And it may benefit us all to come to terms with it and avoid it whenever possible. <laughs> I think that would be some very good homework for your listeners to think, how long would it take me specifically before I'd resort to cannibalism in the, in the Rockies situation? Yeah, I will definitely be thinking on that. And so, so we made it through the topic. We did very well. Thank you so much, Good. Molly, for coming on. So Thank what, you so much for having me. Of course, of course. So what might you be working on now in the realm and remind folks how they can find your work? Um, I'm always working on film reviews and just keeping up with contemporary stuff. I publish most of my work in review online. Um, and also whenever I'm not doing that, I'm working on Jewish horror and researching, hopefully reinvigorating the Jewish horror review page this year uh, my next thing will be actually about cannibalism in jewish history and going into the examples that i was talking about earlier uh yeah and you can find that at jewishhorrorreview.com that's so awesome well thank you so much molly brilliant thank you for having me uh, it's been great thanks for taking a trip with me through josh's worst nightmare where i josh schlossberg survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com, where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or Josh'sWorstNightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg. <laughs> <laughs>